Welcome back to the EU Smart Tourism Podcast. I'm your host, Misa, from the European Commission, and today we've got a really special episode lined up for you. Smart gets you further. We're in a very festive mood, and not just because of the holidays. Today's episode is about the new 2024 winners of the EU Capital and the EU Green Pioneer of Smart Tourism, Dublin in Ireland and Grosseto in Italy. And so it's all about getting to know them and celebrating their achievements. In this episode, we dive into Dublin's remarkable transformation from a traditional tourist hotspot to a shining example of smart tourism. We'll explore how they've redefined their approach, integrating technology, culture and innovation. And we'll also discover Grosseto, the heart of slow tourism in Tuscany. As the European Green Pioneer, Grosseto showcases a unique blend of sustainable practices and immersive experiences, and it's deeply connected to the local culture and their environment. So join us as we unpack this city's inspiring stories, their strategies, and the steps they've taken towards setting a new benchmark in smart tourism. We begin by welcoming Barry Rogers from Dublin back on the show. My name is Barry Rogers and I'm the Head of Tourism for Dublin City. This year and the next, 2023 and 2024, Dublin is at the forefront of European smart tourism practices. But Barry points out that this wasn't always the case. The city has undergone a significant evolution from where it stood just a few years ago. You know, Dublin is one of the most popular destinations in Europe. It's a very, very traditional tourism destination. And so Dublin for a long time had been on this traditional tourism development track, which every other destination in the world was on. As really only, I suppose, that, that narrative has kind of changed in the last five years. And a couple of really important things happened uh, in, that, in that time. So the reason that a lot of destinations have a traditional development uh, or traditional tourism economy is because, uh, because of the financial crash in 2007, 2008. Governments around the world and states turned to tourism as kind of like an economic lifeboat. And they were totally right to do that. Um, tourism is a, is a huge revenue earner for cities and destinations. So a lot of the world we're living in, in terms of tourism development, was created in 2008, 2009. Uh, tourism is an economic lifeboat. And then COVID comes along. And this, according to Barry, was a true turning point, one which dramatically changed the trajectory for the city going forward. COVID comes along and shuts down the entire tourism industry across Europe and the world. And we get an idea of what it's like to live in a world without tourism. And that was something that not a lot of people were, were prepared for. You know, tourism as an essential experience and as an essential part of our cities. So that gave everyone kind of a wake up call. And I suppose where the smart tourism model was kind of formed and created was um, this idea that tourism can be more than just about core economic growth. And so cities, Dublin specifically, starts having this conversation in around 2018, 2019. This is pre-COVID, just in time for, for COVID-19. And we launch our first tourism, our first smart tourism program in 2020, just in time for the pandemic. And we get this glimpse into a world in which, you know, tourism is, is more than just an economic driver. You know, we're talking about tech, we're talking about data, innovation, technology. Um, but we're also talking about the importance of tourism within culture, within accessibility, within the environment. And smart tourism, I think, was, was a really perfectly timed conversation led by the EU at a time when people were starting to refocus what they thought tourism should be about because of COVID-19. And now, having emerged out of COVID, 
the job for all of us, not just in Dublin, is, is to try and make smart tourism the status quo, right? So like we all have this hangover of the economic development model of tourism from the last recession. And now we're in the process of kind of trying to shake that off. For us in Ireland, for example, we have almost full employment. Tourism necessarily is not the biggest driver of economic development in the city. And so we need to, tourism needs to be able to demonstrate value in other areas. And those areas are culture, heritage, creativity, accessibility, sustainability, uh, digitization. Yes. So Dublin, pretty much like all destinations around the world, found itself at a crossroad. And they decided to create a path towards becoming a smart tourism destination. The first step in this journey for them was the smart one. It involved a critical assessment of their strengths and weaknesses at that time. So Dublin is a, is a hub for hundreds of multinational tech firms from all around the world. And that means it's predisposed to having te technology companies in the city. And we started out super, super strong on digital because digital is, is what we know in Dublin. Digital is our expertise. But in terms of what you talked about, weaknesses, you know, it wasn't until we started going for the, the capital of smart tourism and reading all the literature, reading all the compendiums of best practice, looking at what other cities were doing that we realized, you know, smart tourism is so much more than just technology focused, um, you know, really widen the scope to be about the pillars, you know, so to be about sustainability, to be about accessibility, to be about culture as well. So our weaknesses, our, our strengths were easy. Technology, technology is so easy. And our weaknesses were the difficult things. So our weaknesses were accessibility, our weaknesses were sustainability, and our weaknesses were cultural heritage and creativity at that time, two years ago. Um, so we started out at a very kind of smart tourism for us was just a, a short way of saying, you know, tourism and technology coming together to make a better experience. And now smart tourism for us is like, is in everything we do across, across our entire city. So yeah, that's been, our journey to get to that point has been like, has been extremely fun. Um, but you can imagine that the growing pains of, of that kind of shift are very, very painful as well. Yeah, Barry brings up a crucial point about the way to think of all those smart tourism good practices that we mention here on the podcast so often. It is a great way to assess where you stand while keeping your eyes on the goal. We naturally leaned on our strengths and we're very good in some areas. And part of what I suppose has been so brilliant about this designation and, and the work we've done with the commission in the last two years is it's a real audit of your strengths and weaknesses. There's no getting away from it. Like if you are not performing well across the four pillars, if you're not performing well in accessibility in terms of transforming your destination, you know, you're, you're going to be told. And there's no other mechanism in tourism in the world that does that. There's no other process by which you can find out what are your great points and what are your very, very weak points. And for Dublin, you know, we, we've been able to see what we're strong in and we've been able to see what we're weak in and what we need to work on as well. So that done with your assessment, you need to make a plan. And the easiest way to start is to look at those who have successfully gone through the same sort of transition before you. The easiest way to inspire action is to point to another destination and say, look what they're doing. So I spent the last two years pointing to Paphos, pointing to Seville, pointing to Valencia, all of these other amazing destinations and saying, look at what they're doing. You know, look at this initiative. Look at what they're managing to do. These are the reasons these cities are being lauded in this in this way. These are the reasons these cities are the best in the world. It's very difficult to talk about what needs to change at destination level without practical examples. And one of the best things that the Smart Tourism Initiative does 
is it just gives you endless practical examples from other amazing destinations about what the best of the best looks like. And so we spent a long time taking notes from other destinations that are part of this, this group and bringing those back to Dublin and showing our senior managers, you know, this is what the best destinations are doing. So I'd love to say that it was all us internally championing it, but ultimately we used the examples of other destinations to make sure that these principles were also practical from a destination point of view. So let's hear a little bit about Dublin's approach to smart tourism pillars, starting with sustainability. Sustainability was an area we really suffered from and suffered in, um, in regards to tourism. When we started off, you know, when we did our bid in 2021, we had almost no sustainable examples. So we didn't have a huge amount to go on. I suppose sustainability is probably the furthest we've come of all of the pillars of smart tourism. And so just from a very practical point of view, you know, there's a tremendous amount has changed in this space. And if there's any destinations listening to this, wondering like, how do I go from zero to getting hold on sustainability? There's a few really practical things you can do. The first one is to understand, and this is tricky, understand what sustainability means. And there's a really, really good definition of this from the Smart Tourism Program. Sustainability does not just mean uh, decarbonization. You know, it's, a, it's a whole approach to making sure that your destination is, is working both for locals and for the environment. So it's not just kind of like this singular approach. It's actually quite a bit more complicated. So there's a few things you can do straight away. So we did these, you know, immediately. In our new tourism strategy, we have adopted the UN sustainable tourism definition and we have adopted each sustainable development goal where applicable into our strategy. We were the first Irish signature of the Glasgow Declaration on Sustainable Tourism, which holds us to account in terms of halving our carbon budget by 2030 and eliminating it by 2050. And then there's another, there's a couple of other things that we've done in our tourism strategy, we've said very specifically that we are going to pursue a best-in-class accreditation for our destination. So a number of destinations are already further ahead than us uh, in Europe on this with ISO standards and things like that. The market in Ireland is not as developed as that, so we'll be pursuing that next year as part of our, part of our capital year. And then there's a number of things around carbon emissions calculations and stuff like that that you can do. And then there's also this kind of element of the local. So... We're quite keen to make sure that the conversation around sustainability always includes the humans who live in the city. So we've done a huge amount of integrating with, with people who live in Dublin. One of the biggest things we did was a huge survey on attitudes to tourism amongst Dubliners as well. So with all of that behind you, then you can kind of move forward and make, make key decisions. Um, but you can only really do that from that base of having those policies, having that information, having that data. And then finally, as with our big push for next year is to improve our GDS score. So the Global Destination Sustainability Index, for anyone listening, is a very good indication of how good cities are in terms of sustainability. Dublin has had a fluctuating score for a number of years. Um, that is partly due to the fact that a number of different people um, feed into the submission. But for next year, uh, we've agreed to really streamline this process. And all of those things for us are really going to give us a really strong a really strong position on sustainability next year. Another very important aspect is focusing on the local. Most destinations around the world will look to attract visitors by degree of their propensity to spend money. So that means that you will look traditionally to uh, high spending international markets, then you look to domestic markets, high spending domestic markets, and then you might eventually think about the people who live in your city after that. We've kind of flipped that model in Dublin City Council, so we're very specifically interested in the local and how the local interacts with the traditional tourism experience and making room for the local in that traditional tourism experience 
On top of that, then, we're obviously still providing infrastructure and facilitating the domestic and international visitors as well. But so we firmly believe that that shift from lo- from international domestic to local and pursuing a, a visitor with a, a lesser carbon footprint is kind of the sustainable model for the future, as long as it can be balanced with the economic. Sustainability is quite difficult to speak about in isolation because it ties in with so many other aspects of a destination's work. It's quite difficult to talk about sustainability as a silo because uh, sustainability is just now cuts through almost everything you do. So, yeah, sustainability for us, I suppose, is about facts, monitoring, signing up to things, measuring and being accountable. And then it's also about making sure that ultimately the destination is serving the local as well. Next, let's talk about accessibility. There were some elements of accessibility we were really good at. And to take the kind of EU definition, you know, we're really good at accessibility of information. So, you know, Ireland and Dublin, by extension, is one of the most online brands, recognized destinations all over the world. Our provision of tourism information and tourism data is, you know, extremely strong. So we're really good at that. But where we fell down was kind of practical applications of accessibility in the more traditional sense of the word. And some of the stuff that we brought in initially as part of this, for example, our tourism strategy is very, very strong on accessibility now. So, for example, you know, we, we pledge to put universal accessible design at the heart of any of our new physical infrastructure in the city. Um, we have introduced a number of initiatives across the city which will kind of bring accessibility to the forefront. One of them specifically, which is probably one of our biggest programs, is we've pledged to be an autism-friendly city by 2026. And this is a very robust framework of accreditation led by a company, a third-party company called As I Am, which is an Irish company. Um, that's ingrained within the Dublin City Council plan for next year when they're launching the plan in a few weeks. You can imagine how much work is involved in integrating a plan like Autism Friendly across education systems, public infrastructure, public planning, engineering, everything you can possibly imagine. And then on a kind of a smaller scale, but still really important is you see museums like we have here in Dublin, like 14 Henrietta Street, offer tours in sign language so that multiple People from kind of any accessible backgrounds can enjoy the experiences that we have just like anyone else. And for a lot of these projects, you know, these are quite simple things, but those are kind of the things that have the biggest impact. Um, Accessibility is an area, you know, we're going to be working on a tremendous amount more. We still feel it's one of our weak points, but... On the broader sense of the word, you know, in terms of getting visitors around around our city, getting information in front of them, we're really good on that. But in terms of the practical examples of delivering accessible products, we have so much more work to do, definitely for next year, for the European capital as well. So these were points where Dublin needed to put some work in. Next, we go to what Dublin was doing very well already. Their comfort zone is digital. Yeah, I suppose we're comfortable in the technology space and Partly, I think that's because it's 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 to an extent it's not easy, but it's it's engineerable, right? It's technology is something that can be created and implemented in a very straightforward way, whereas systematic change that's necessary for like broad scale accessibility in your city, that is difficult. So one of the reasons we're quite strong on technologies, I suppose we we initially started the smart tourism program in that image. So it was a blend of technologists and it was a blend of some of the best people working in both tech and tourism. So we those are kind of like the strengths we leaned into at the time. And that's probably why we are slightly ahead now is because we started that process maybe four or five years ago, um, prioritizing the 
the kind of meeting of technology and tourism and what was possible in that area. And like a few of the things we did, and again, we took huge inspiration from the other cities. A lot of cities talk about app development, mobile application design, you know, as a key kind of element. And we did that, but we did it in a kind of unique way. So when we came to build our app, um, we did a very interesting audit of what was the gap missing in the mobile application development space for tourism in Dublin? And a lot of destinations go and build destination apps, which do a number of things, including, you know, they'll they'll tell you how to get from A to B. They'll tell you where all the biggest events are and stuff like that. And what we didn't want to do was create an app that in any way did the job of one of the big five. And by the big five, you know, I mean the ones we all know, like Instagram, TripAdvisor, Google Maps, et cetera. So the area we felt that we could add value to is we wanted to create a digital storytelling platform for the city. And the reason for this is that we wanted to be able to create experiences anywhere in Dublin region that would drive visitors from the city centre to unknown parts, unknown neighbourhoods, unknown communities. And we wanted to do that in a way that did not require physical infrastructure. So we developed a tender for an app which later became known as Dublin Discovery Trails. And Dublin Discovery Trails is this really unique online platform that can be downloaded by both locals and tourists. And it's an augmented reality platform built on a Unity gaming engine. And what that means is essentially you can do whatever you want in terms of design. So we built a number of uh, experiences, heritage trails, virtual reality experiences throughout the city uh, that are all hosted on this platform. But the thing that's quite unique about it is that one of the issues with app development or tech development in tourism is that it's always based in silos. So you have individual local authorities, individual companies building apps. Whereas what we did was we decided to build a shared platform for the city of Dublin. The contracting partners of that platform would be the big players. So all the tourism authorities, you know, all the promotion authorities, all the local authorities. And what that means is we have this huge platform now in Dublin, which is kind of like the Netflix of of tourism experiences that anyone in Dublin as a local authority can build on without going out to tender. And any local or, or visitor to the city can download and, and go anywhere in the city with it. So things like that, where it's, this is an example of, you know, it's not what we did, but how we did it. Like a lot of destinations build apps, um, but the way in which we built the app, making sure that it was like, you know, funded very strongly by multiple partners, which all had a stake in its success is the reason why it's been so successful. On top of that, then, you know, there's, there's, hundred other technology projects that, that we've worked on. Um, we recently built a website called Dear Dublin, which uses AI and data analytics to show you how locals in the city feel about tourism in the city at any one time across multiple categories. That's an example that we, we took from a, an amazing project in Copenhagen called Copenhagen 10X, which is like one of the first tourism sentiment, local sentiment websites I've ever seen. So like, yeah, technology is 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 an area we're quite strong in. We have huge support from the likes of, you know, Smart Dublin, who are an innovation hub in and of themselves in, in Dublin. So we find technology is kind of like our, our comfort zone. But the space we're getting into now, which is really interesting, is like, how do we just use technology to further the other areas? How do we use them to further accessibility? How do we use technology to further sustainability? And that's the space I'm really, really interested in. We always used to say when we started out the Smart Tourism program that it, was, it wasn't about technology for technology's sake. It was about making sure that we could add real value using technology. And I think, think that's still very, very true. Finally, let's talk about cultural heritage. Because this is an area where Dublin already had a very interesting model in place. They started a dedicated city company to promote and leverage this aspect of the city. 
Yeah, so culture. Like I do, I do think culture was one of our really strong points as well. Um, and back to my comment about how how these European capital processes are huge drivers of change in cities. Our position on culture came about through, I think it was maybe a 20, 2018, 19 bid for Dublin to become the 2020 capital of culture. And so during that process, I think it might have even been, been before that, um, one of the things Dublin said they would do in their bid is they would set up a culture company. So a dedicated company resourced by the city council, which its responsibility was to drive cultural engagement and advocacy across the city. And Dublin didn't win that bid, you know, Galway won, but they went ahead and did the set up the culture company anyway. And it's one of the only cities in Europe which has a dedicated culture company. You know, there's almost 80 staff working in the in the culture company at the moment. And that really is one of the most unique initiatives I've ever seen to make sure that cities foster, advocate for and develop culture across a number of engagements throughout the city. And your culture is one of these areas which it's extremely difficult to define. But the work of culture company, you know, I think was it's best shown by the fact that Dublin City hosted last week the Global Culture Summit. 350 delegates from all over the world coming to Dublin to talk about culture, to ingrain culture as a new sustainable development goal. These are all things that probably would not be possible without the like designated infrastructure around culture. And the reason why it's important is, is that you don't get experiences like 14 Henrietta Street without a dedicated culture company. You know, so 14 Henrietta Street, sorry for anyone who doesn't know, is this incredible social history museum in Dublin, which is in an old Elizabethan building on one of the oldest streets in the capital. Um, it's won multiple awards, including the Saletto Prize for Cultural Engagement. And it's one of the best attractions or experiences in Dublin at the moment. And one of the things I always kind of wonder is like, I don't think 14 Henrietta Street would exist if it was built not on the backbone of Dublin City Council Culture Company or run and operated by Dublin City Council Culture Company. So we see that as much as we might like to believe that tourism is kind of existing on its own, so much of tourism, whether it's 14 Henrietta Street or, you know, we've recently had one of the biggest Andy Warhol exhibitions in our in our local gallery, Hugh Lane, whether it's, whether it's the Andy Warhol exhibition, so much of tourism relies on culture and so much of tourism exploits cultural resources and infrastructure that already exists. And so... Dublin City has been amazing and the work of the culture company and, and Isolt Dunn has been incredible in making sure that culture has been being um, fostered and created and nurtured in, in Dublin City. Um, but it's just one of those areas that's very, very difficult to get right. And thankfully, I'm very proud that Dublin is one of the cities that certainly got it right. And had it not been for the work of the culture company and all of its incredible projects and everything it's led throughout the city, you know, I'm not sure we would have been able to win the capital this year because we relied very, very heavily on the work of the culture company as well. So if anyone's looking for a good model of how to kind of develop culture in a city, the culture company in Dublin is a, is a company I would certainly look up. And finally, we wanted to hear a little bit about what Dublin has in store for us for the next few years. We've just launched our new tourism strategy, a strategy that was written completely in the image of our experience as part of the Smart Tourism Program, the Smart Tourism Initiative. And when we launched that strategy and when we talked about it in front of the judging panel, we said that if we win this capital year, we will use this as a vehicle to embed our new tourism strategy. And what we're really saying there is 
suppose getting back to what we initially said at the start of this conversation, the, the tourism conversation has changed. It's moved from one of just purely economic to one of more inclusive kind of growth. And ultimately what we will do next year is we will use this designation to really embed Dublin's reputation around tourism from moving it from a traditional tourism model to a smart tourism model. How we'll do that is a number of other, you know, there's a huge amount of work in, in doing that. We've learned a lot from the other destinations. But fundamentally, you know, uh, we'll be doing that internally and externally. We'll be doing a huge amount of work with our tourism partners on the ground and our community. A major factor in Dublin's journey to success has been that capacity to learn from and work alongside other destinations within the EU Smart Tourism Network. This collaborative approach has proven to be a tremendous advantage, so the city intends to double down its focus on networking in the future. The bit that I'm most interested in and the bit that I've always selfishly loved about the Smart Tourism Programme is we just can't wait to host and get together and collaborate and partner with all of the other amazing destinations that have been part of the Smart Tourism Initiative for the past five years. We just, we're so excited to welcome everyone to Dublin. We just absolutely can't wait um, to get Seville, to get Paphos, to get Copenhagen, Helsinki, Leon, Linz, you name it. We can't wait to get them all into Dublin and just learn from them and embed and share those experiences. Very, very selfishly, you know, we've gotten a huge amount out of being part of these workshops and a huge amount out of being the conversations and relationships that have spurred from those workshops. The main backbone of our bid next year and our experience next year is we want to be a bringer together. Uh, we want to use Dublin as a base from which to launch huge amounts of collaboration between the network and the shortlisted cities and the cities who've won the smart tourism um, designation in the past. So on top of all the usual stuff around marketing, communications, comms, events, uh, speaking appearances and stuff like that, we'll be launching a, a huge amount of one-to-one -one small workshops um, with other destinations as part of this next year. There's an unfortunate thing that destinations do, which is that they see their other, they see other cities around Europe and the world as competitors. You know, and we get this sort of thinking from marketing language. That closes down a lot of the doors to learning. And what we're very interested in doing next year is throwing all that out the window and inviting in our competitors, inviting in our, our collaborators into Dublin meeting with them, talking with them, creating relationships, because ultimately that's where we've got all of our best ideas from. That's where we've got all of our inspiration from, has been talking to all of these amazing cities. I don't think we've had, when we look at the many original ideas over the last year, we've just taken them from some of the best cities in Europe and we've gotten that from uh, this designation. So that's really it from us next year. You know, we'll be officially launching our plans and our websites and, and all of that. But ultimately, if there was one kind of if there is one kind of thread that will run through next year for us, it's, it's EU collaboration all the way. I love that, and I'm grateful to Dublin. As you can see, they went through a real journey here, and the speed and the levels of their success are incredible. A big thank you to Barry for giving us a glimpse behind the curtain, and I hope it will serve as a source of inspiration for other destinations who want to do smart tourism well. Once again, congratulations to Dublin on their well-deserved achievement. And coming up. We're thrilled to introduce Valentina Mecacci from Grosseto, the winner of the European Green Pioneer Award for 2024. To kick things off, let's dive into a brief overview of this wonderful jewel nestled in southern Tuscany. The city of Grosseto is uh, a small city uh, in the southern part of uh, Tuscany. 
and uh, we are at least 10 kilometers from the coast and uh, we are in a beautiful area called uh, Maremma. It is a big plain, a coast plain that uh, is famous for, uh, of course, as a touristic location, but also for organic agriculture and uh, for vineyards. We, we are famous for our uh, local products and for, uh, for the beauty of the coast and the sea. And uh, we are an historical city. Grosseto has a, a medieval history and a long tradition of, uh, of history. So uh, we are in a territory full of uh, green areas, protected areas. So we have uh, a huge biodiversity and uh, a huge uh, difference in, in landscapes. So that's what we offer and that's what, what we are famous for. Grosseto has a long history of working on sustainable tourism projects and is in fact a pioneer in the space. We started to work in, uh, you know, in sustainable tourism and uh, in um, green tourism many years ago. I'm talking about 1975, so it's part of our history. Um, we started to decide to protect some some areas of our territory that were important for, uh, of course, for nature, for landscape, but also for traditions. And then we started to make these points of our uh, of our tradition and of our history a, a strong point also for tourism. So we started 40 years ago. And in the past years in particular, the city has launched a variety of projects in the same direction. The, the cycle roads around the city that were improved a lot along these uh, five, eight years and that connect nowadays the, the, the main city, so Grosseto, to the coast and to all the small cities of, uh, of the municipality, part of the municipality. We are still working in it, but uh, yes, it starts uh, many years ago. Grosseto is a really special place for agritourism in particular, and I love this. I don't think we explore this aspect of smart tourism enough, either in our practices or in this podcast. You have to Im imagine that a really a few percentage of people uh, in Grosseto goes to the supermarket to, uh, to buy fruit and vegetables, okay? We are used to buy local products. And so this is our, our strength also. The farms surrounding Grosseto provide locals with more than just fresh produce. They now play a significant role in the city's tourism allure and provide substantial employment opportunities for the local community. They are very tied to population also for the job, the job they offer because during the summer season, but in the last three, four years also uh, during the uh, spring and autumn, uh, they employ uh, a lot of, uh, of local people. These farms are very popular with tourists, who are eager to immerse themselves in authentic experiences of exquisite food, fine wine, and natural outdoor beauty. Tourists coming to Marimma are searching for this kind of uh, facilities, you know, this kind of offer, because they are food and uh, wine uh, lovers, and uh, they are really searching for these. So they, they come here especially for, for this particularity of our territory. 
So they like slow tourism, slow food, slow wine. <laughs> okay, so they 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 are searching for that. In in our territory, you find uh, many information about it. You you can know exactly where you have to go if you want to buy, for example artichokes or zucchini or uh, special meat, you know. We, we also have uh, a special kind of breeding here in Maremma. Not only agriculture, but also animal breeding. We breed a special race of cow called um, Vacca Maremmana, Maremma cow, that is uh, local. It's very, very tight. To, to, to our territory and it's born here and it's breeded only in our territory. So you it has a, a very good and particular meat. So if you want to eat a, a special meat that you only find here, of course you're searching for that, you know. There are many ways to experience these culinary adventures independently or as part of a group. We have also special guided tours, enogastronomical guided tours that bring people, small groups of people, sometimes uh, only a, f- a family or, you know, four or five people, uh, bringing them to taste wine in special wineries and uh, to taste food and also to buy it in special farms. So you, you do the tour of, uh, of the small place, the small town, the historical town, and then you have a food and wine taste in a very special place. We are very specialized in this, uh, this kind of tourism. In Grosseto, they've been putting in the effort for years to ensure that everyone has access to these delightful experiences, progressing steadily along the way. We, we work a lot also in... Um, uh, accessibility pro- projects. We started uh, in uh, 2016 by a publication. So we just uh, wrote uh, a little guide, uh, a paper guide, you know, for not able bodied people just to visit Grosseto in a simple way, in an accessible way. And uh, uh, then we, we decided to let become the main monuments accessible. So we did a lot of job of work of uh, uh, building, you know, special uh, moving steps or some ramps to reach, you know, the monuments and museums and everything. Then we we decided to to let not able-bodied people to reach also the green areas around the city. And so we just uh, enlarge a little bit uh, the streets and then we we started to uh, build uh, these uh, special cycling and special uh, roads uh, to uh, move uh, freely around the city and to reach these green areas. So we are working day by day, you know, it's... It's a work in progress. Corsetto is also actively involved in larger and more ambitious initiatives that extend beyond its city limits. So we have, uh, for example, the project of the urban tracking, and it is a national uh, project. So it, uh, all Italy uh, makes the urban tracking, but Grosseto is uh, one of the pioneers of this kind of uh, project. We, are, we have the idea to enlarge it to tie it to not, not only to the city, but enlarge it in the territory. So we, we will go in to improve some 
cycling roads and pedestrian roads to reach the small cities, the small villages around Grosseto from the city so that we can really go do um, not only a urban trekking, but a, a municipality trekking, a real trekking that can last also a few days if you want. So like, like uh, you know, uh, the Santiago Path, uh, no? Not, not so long, of course, but uh, uh, if you have uh, this small station uh, in the middle, you can also probably do it in two or three days. And it's good because you, you go slow and uh, you, you walk in nature and it's beautiful. So much of what Corseto is doing really taps into the heart of slow tourism, giving every visitor a deeply enriching and memorable experience that stays with them well beyond their visit. Well, slow tourism is a kind of tourism uh, very, very iconic of our city and of our territory. So slow tourism is every experience, because it's an experience, it's not just seeing a place, uh, uh, be there and just wandering around, but it's an experience. And you can have uh, this experience involving, of course, also food, wine, everything that is uh, very typical of the land, only if you go slow. Because if you go fast, if you go by train or by plane, you lose a lot of uh, details that are very important. Uh, an, ex an immersive experience of uh, the territory. This is what's, what's important for us. That when you go home, you have been to Maremma, but you have lived that very, very strongly. So you, you feel a little bit Maremma too. And that's it for today. Congratulations again to Dublin and Grosseto for winning our 2024 EU Capital and EU Green Pioneer or Smart Tourism Award. And thanks again for all our guests and to you for listening. See you in the next episode. Smart gets you further.